Well, good morning, everyone. It's great that you're tuning in and you're here to listen to worship as a way to exalt Christ and uh, to his word as a way to know Jesus. You know, last week uh, we looked at chapter one where we talked about don't doubt in the dark what you knew in the light. But where do doubts come from? Why do we ever doubt? Well, usually uh, they arise, doubt arises out of our feelings. You know, uh, many, many years ago, uh, when Crystal and I were still very young and uh, things were tight, uh, an opportunity came up. Now, you have to know, I'm impulsive when it comes to spending money, but Crystal is very discerning and wise when it comes to spending money. So we had these friends of ours, and we were having an evening together, and they began to tell us about this incredible opportunity that they were involved in, and that they paid $5,000 to be part of this group of people, and that gave them the right to go get five other people who would pay $5,000 to be part of it, and they would keep the $5,000 that those other people brought. And so you pay 5000 but you get 20000 out after you've paid your 5000 And I thought to myself, man, this is incredible. And they just happened to have one slot left for somebody who was willing to invest $5,000. And they would get $20,000 out of this. And I turned to Crystal and said, we, we, we got to do this. I mean, this is an incredible opportunity. And I was so excited. I was getting up to go get the checkbook. And Crystal said... Uh, I think I would like to have some time to think about this. Now, I was burning inside because I, I, this is the opportunity and you need to jump. Somebody's going to take ahead of this. And I was all in. I was so excited about this. I was ready to act. But we're a couple and so the, cu the couple that was visiting us left and they did not leave with our check. Uh, the next day or two, I... Was talking to a friend uh, who happens to be a sergeant in the police force, and I told him about this opportunity that I missed. And he said, "Now you have to understand. I was young. I didn't know anything. I, 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 I was naive to life." And he said, "Ed, that is a pyramid scheme. There is no product that you're paying for." Or the product is so insignificant and the price over-increased that it is illegal. So the, the worst-case scenario, you would have uh, put your $5,000 in and not got any, enough people to get your money back. But even worse than that would be you actually did get five people and you got the money and you had $20,000 in your pocket and you could go back in any time. But one of the five that you recruited couldn't get their five and so then they complained to the police and you would have been charged with fraud. Now, I, I was flabbergasted. And, you know, even talking about it now, I feel stupid and embarrassed. That, that I would have... <laughs> committed fraud because I was so excited and really honestly greedy that I, I was ready to jump on this opportunity. And if it weren't for Crystal, I probably wouldn't be a pastor. See there, that's what would have happened because if I had been charged with fraud, there's not many churches that are willing to hire a senior pastor who has a conviction on fraud. And so 
as I think back on that situation, I realize that my feelings bypassed my mind and went right to my will. See, feelings can sometimes lead us to make decisions that really have deep ramifications in our lives and terrible consequences. Our feelings can send us reeling. Now, uh, I think you might kind of have the same experience. Maybe not the same, but, but you've let your feelings lead you into decisions that may not have been the best. Like in your finances, maybe you have made a bad investment because your gut told you this is it and you, you didn't take time to think it through. You just put the money in. Or you went out and bought a car or a house and you don't have the money to pay for it and you're feeling the weight of that decision now and the fear that that is creating. Or you lent money to somebody and <laughs> your spouse said, don't do it, but you did it. Or your gut said, don't do it, but you did it. And now you regret that you listened to your feelings and made a decision. Or maybe in a relationship. Maybe you've dated somebody who wasn't a Christian. You, you're feeling, they're so nice, they're so kind, they fit so well. And now you're regretting that decision. Or you got involved in a relationship and then found out, oh, they're already married. Or they're already with somebody else. And now you find yourself dating somebody who's already married. Or you married somebody and they had a bunch of baggage and your friends and your family told you that. And you're like, no, I can change her. Oh, I can change him. And now you're wondering why you ever listened to your feelings. Or you let your feelings cause you to blurt something out of your mouth. Hasn't this happened to you? Um, I quit. And you should never have quit. Or sure, go ahead, leave, make up your mind. You should never have said that. Or you've said, you're just dumb. Or I'm in. See, our feelings sometimes bypass our mind and go right to our will, and we make decisions that have terrible consequences on our lives, but we won't know it till down the road. And so our feelings can send us reeling if we're not careful, and that's exactly what's happening to the Thessalonians in their test. Uh, Paul, last chapter in chapter 1, said, don't doubt, and now he's going to get at the heart of why were they doubting. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, you know, you know, this is the truth. You know that our visit to you was not without results. And so why would Paul say that? Because they feel like failures. They're feeling like, hey, Paul came here, he preached the gospel, and we believed him, and look at the mess we're in now. Look at what's happening. Now, I don't know if you have ever been attacked or opposed or persecuted for standing for Jesus or doing what you know God has called you to do. But I know this, that there are times when you have to stand and when people oppose you, at first, you feel justified. At first, you, you, you deal with it, and you're like, okay, I'm standing for Jesus. But as that goes on over time, what happens is you begin to doubt because your feelings start revving up inside. And you begin to wonder, well, well if, if I was following God, why am I going through all this trouble? Or, or why are these people against me? Maybe they know something I don't know. And you begin to doubt your decisions. You begin to doubt what you knew. You begin to doubt if God is really with you. And then you begin to look inward and your feelings of discouragement and, and, and doubt begin to really weigh on you. You wonder, maybe, maybe what I heard wasn't true 
true at all. And Paul starts, you know, you know. He, he, he wants them to understand. And he said, we had previously suffered and we had been out and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As if you remember when we talked about this, that Paul was beaten for preaching the gospel and thrown into prison. And then he was released and his next stop was here in Thessalonica. And he with welts and that were still oozing on his back from the beating he would have had, preaches the gospel. And he said, we were previously treated, you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. We didn't shrink back. We didn't think that the gospel wasn't true. We didn't stop obeying Christ. We didn't stop following Jesus. We pressed into it. And he said, it's because it was a test. And he said, we didn't make this appeal. It doesn't spring from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. We didn't do this to take advantage of you. On the contrary, this wasn't even about you. This was about what God was calling us to. On the contrary, we speak as those who are proved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We were given a trust. In the last place we were, we suffered for it. And now the test for us, the test for us was Will we be trustworthy with the trust that God has given us? And we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. In the middle of our suffering, just like you're going through suffering, in the middle of our suffering was a test. Will we be true to God? Or will we try to please people? You see, this is what happens when... um, when we get in a test, our feelings begin to get a hold of us and we begin to get afraid. And in our test right now, this COVID test, our test is not the same as the Thessalonians, but like the Thessalonians, we are in a test. And I think our test, and I asked other leaders in our church, I said, what do you see happening? What's going on? And, And they said to me that they both see and feel fear. That fear is, is kind of crippling us and people are getting demanding and, and very controlling and things have to be done my way because if they're not in control, I'm afraid. And so uh, they, they begin in their home and, and in their workplace and in the church begin to, to try to demand that things be their way because of fear. We're afraid. And that fear is causing division among us because obviously we don't have the same idea about things and so we demand our way and that causes conflict that shouldn't be there that's coming out of fear. Another thing that these leaders saw was the loneliness that people, some people are really alone, isolated and don't have a lot of contact with other people and then they're making decisions about sexual decisions about what they watch or who they're with. Decisions that are robbing them of their dignity and are violating the commands of Christ for purity. And then apathy. I I don't know if you've felt this. This is the one I'm feeling the most in this test. It's a struggle to get out of bed and spend time with God and, and, and do my exercises and get to work and work hard and, and like just this apathy of I don't really care much anymore. It's not that I'm depressed, but it's not that I'm really excited about life. I, I'm struggling. That's my battle is I've got to keep pushing through on those spiritual and physical disciplines and those emotional disciplines that keep me centered on Christ. 
But it's easier to watch TV. It's easier just to surf the net. It's easier just to, I don't know. And then discouragement. I want to quit. I want to quit going uh, to my life group. I want to quit my marriage. I want to quit my responsibilities, my serving, my reaching out to my four. I want to quit church. Barna Research has been doing, they, they particularly focus on churches and they've been doing research um, where people are at as a result of this test that we're going through in COVID. And they found out uh, very early, in, back in June, I think I read this, and then they have updated it, and they have found that 20% of people who attended church regularly before COVID hit, 20% of people who were regular attenders of church before COVID even hit have said they're not going back to services. They're not coming back to a building. They're not going to services online. They're just done. 20%. Discouraged. See, these are the emotions that whelm up, and there are tests in, these, in this long-term dragging on COVID reality that we're in. This is our test. Now, Paul responds to the Thessalonians with love. It's very interesting how he reminds them of, first of all, you're you're wondering, maybe it's a failure, maybe we've been taking advantage of you, maybe we, we were just doing this for greed and for money. And he goes, the first thing I want you to know is how much we loved you. He said, you know, we never used flattery. Now think, stop and think about that. They were believing that Paul came and told them this message to flatter them to get something out of them. And <laughs> what Paul did, if you think about it, Paul came, he preached the gospel of Christ. He was rejected and attacked because of it. He called them to repent and to follow Jesus. Now what is flattering about that? Where's the flattery in that? And he said, uh, we're not trying to, uh, we, we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We didn't tell you this to get something out of you. Look, we're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles, so he's about to introduce to them the, the linchpin of why he, he's going to describe to them how he loved them and he didn't, they, there wasn't greed behind what he was doing. He goes, look, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not looking for praise from anyone. But as apostles, we could have asserted our authority. And what he means by that, as apostles, it is our right to receive finances from you for the service that we are giving to you. That's what the scripture teaches. Don't muzzle the ox. Pay the laborer what he is worthy. And if somebody preaches to you and teaches you and instructs you in the eternal things of God, then they are, uh, have the right to receive remuneration for the work and the labor they are doing in your life. He goes, we had that right. Now, I'm not telling you this to get praise. I just want you to know. Instead, we didn't choose that right. We were like, and he uses a couple metaphors. We were like young children among you. What are young children like? They're very innocent. Whatever they say, that's what it is. When a child tells you something, that's what's on their heart. They'll tell you. They They don't cover it up. They don't use flattery. They're just right out there. And he goes, we were like children among you. We shared with you the truth. 
Then he goes to another metaphor. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Have you ever, my, my daughter-in-law is a nursing mom. She's always hugging and caring and looking. She sacrifices herself to make sure that that little baby gets the best that he can have. And just like that, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We didn't just share the truth. We poured our whole lives into you. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. And by that, he's referring to Paul was a tent maker. He made and repaired tents for, for uh, income. That was what his trade was. And he goes, surely you remember in the daytime, we weren't sitting in your houses, eating your food and taking your money. We were out in the market and we were repairing tents and we were building tents and we were making money to support ourselves. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while, you, while we preach the gospel to you. You didn't give us any money. Where, why do you think? Where is this coming from, this idea that we flattered you and we gave you greed? We loved you. We did the giving. We did the serving. We did the caring. And you never paid anything to us for it, even though we had the right. That's what love is, isn't it? is giving and serving. And that's what Christ says we're supposed to be known for. You know, we have a vision that we would double our impact. And that vision means, that the heart of that vision is this. As the elders were praying, as we prayed for God, what do you want us to focus on in the next seven years? This was a couple years ago. We had the very distinct sense that God was waking us up to engage in the mission that we had fallen asleep on, to reach people to trust Christ. That, that, that would be the focus of our church over the next seven years. Yes, we would be discipling and encouraging and developing and caring for people as they came to Christ. Of course that's going to happen. But there would be an emphasis over the next seven years to 2025 where we would really take God at his word and step out. And we said the first step for that is that we, each of us, we, we, we would join with God by asking for our my four, right? At least four people where we would say, God, would you use me to reach for these people as I intercede for them, as I invest love into their life, as I invite them to whatever's appropriate where they can hear about you or begin to ask questions about you, would you use me to either help them take a step closer to you or cross the line and trust Christ as their Savior? Help, use me, God, use me. Well, the greatest thing that we can do when we are investing and interceding for people investing is to love them. That's what it's all about. It's to serve like Paul served, to give like Paul gave, to care like Paul cared so that others, their well-being, their needs, their, their, their uh, lack is our opportunity to show the love of Christ to them. Mike was reminded of this the other day. Um, Mike lives on a cul-de-sac and next to Mike lives a, a young widow. She's, she's a widow, but she's young. And uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know the age. I'm, I'm guessing like 50s or somewhere like that. And she's, Mike refers to her as the nosy neighbor. She likes to, she traffics in information, would be the way to say it. 
And uh, when she stops to talk to you, you like it's 30 minutes and you're going to be going through a grill section to find, for her to find out the information she wants to find out. And so Mike said uh, he, he tends to avoid going for walks or going out of the house as she's outside. He waits for her to go inside and then he can carry on so he doesn't have to deal with the grill sessions that invariably come. The other day, uh, Mike's doorbell rang, so he went to the door. He thought it was Amazon delivering a package. He opened it up, and there's nosy neighbor standing right in front of him. And he immediately started thinking in his mind, oh my, well, I, I got to come up with an excuse to get out of this, or I'm going to be 30 minutes standing here. And uh, so as he's thinking this in his head, she says to him, Mike, I know you guys are doing a renovation. You guys got com- people coming and going all the time. And uh, if your cars are parked in your driveway, there, there's a chance that they could get dinged or they could get hit. Or even just a problem when you want to get out, you've got to go through the circus to get out. Look, you can park your cars in my driveway. Let them use your driveway. Your cars are safe. There's not going to be a problem getting in and out. It's not a problem. I only have one car. I'll just, you know, stay away from the back of my garage. We'll be fine. Hope that helps. Have a good day. <laughs> As he watched Nosy Neighbor... Uh, walk away, he immediately became convicted that she just loved me like Christ is calling me to love her, but I have been so focused on myself and worried about getting involved in messy conversations and and places where I don't want to have to stand there and talk. I haven't been worried about her or concerned about her. I've been only focused on myself. I haven't been truly loving my neighbor. See, that's what Paul's referring to. That's what my four is about. It's about us saying, God, I'm here. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to invest love in other people. And you use it however you want to use it. Use me to reach them. Love. Paul goes on, and he goes even further as he talks about his... um, behavior among the Thessalonians and how their feelings about what they think is happening have bypassed their mind. They're not thinking about truth. They've, and they've gone to their will and they're starting to back away. And Paul's concerned that, that they're going to make a decision based on their feelings to walk away from Christ and, and, and be reeling as they, they spiral out of control, losing their faith. And so Paul says in verse 10, you are witnesses. And so is God of how holy righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. You, you, you know how we acted. You know that, that we didn't do anything that was uh, unlawful or unholy or impure or in any way took advantage of everybody, anybody. In fact, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So he's used a metaphor of we were children, innocent. We were mom sacrificing. And now we're like a father who's encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God and uh, 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 who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. We're like a father that's constantly encouraging you on. Now, if you've been a dad, you're constantly doing that if you're engaged with your kids. You're always saying things, look, you have to clean up your room. Go do it before you, you, I come up there and we'll have to make some changes. Or, or you need to finish the jobs that I gave you to do. it. You need to learn to be responsible. You need to do your homework. You need to, anybody said this to their kids, you need to brush your teeth. 
Why do we say these things? Why do we encourage and exhort and remind our kids for these things? Because, like for instance, with brushing your teeth, we know that if you don't brush your teeth when you're younger, you're going to have a very painful and a very expensive experience with your teeth. And so we encourage and we prompt and we we say, come on. And then Paul says, that's what I was doing like a father, only for your soul, encouraging you so that you could participate in the glory of God. This was not for me. I wasn't encouraging you and, and telling you to move and follow through with your faith because I was benefiting from it. It was for you. Just like a father. Now, I just want to stop there and say this. When you hear Lillian and Julie, so Lillian, executive pastor, Julie is our kids, I would call her a kids pastor. When you hear Greg, youth pastor, and Lester, adult pastor. When you hear uh, Andrea, who's director of our outreach. Or you hear uh, Ashley, who is our worship pastor, or you hear Carla Bellamy, who's responsible for uh, life groups and helping Lester with life groups, or you hear me encouraging you to attend services and get connected in a life group and join a team where you can serve. We are not doing this so that we can have a great church for us. We don't keep telling you and reminding you and encouraging you and exhorting you to do those things and be engaged with my four. You know, attend a service and worship God and get involved in a group and learn community and and join a team where you can serve and use your gifts and, and pray for and seek after your my four. We're not doing that to make us happy. We are like fathers and mothers in your life encouraging you to do what you need to do in order for you to grow and you to lead a family or lead your life if you're single, lead your life in a way that will honor and glorify Christ and so you can engage and be involved in the kingdom of God. We're not doing this for us. We do this for you. And that's what Paul's saying here. Your feelings, you have these feelings that are sending you reeling, like you're, you're listening, and, and he's going to show now where those, who they're listening to, and where these feelings are emanating from that are causing them to, to begin to make decisions to walk away from the gospel. Look at verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as actually is the word of God, which indeed is at work in you who believe. Now stop for a second. Remember when we first came? So Paul's writing months later, and he goes, do you remember? And they have been under, this Thessalonian church has been under oppression and attack and riots starting and people going at them. And by the way, the people that were attacking them weren't people they didn't know. They didn't have a media. They didn't have... uh, Instagram, they didn't have social media, YouTube to attack 
the church. These were people they used to do and probably still did business with. These were people they used to go to the synagogue with until they left the synagogue to follow Christ. These were people that they knew. Some of them, maybe their kids had married. Maybe they married into their family. These are people that are attacking them and are telling them that Paul, he's trouble and he's just led you astray and he's using you and he's doing it to get money from you and you're just going to suffer and you should get rid of him and leave this Jesus idea because it isn't working and it's bad and and they they were attacked that's where this is coming from and Paul says when I preached the word of God you thought it was the word of God what changed when you first received Christ you were convinced that God was speaking to you what changed when you believed and when you decided to follow Christ you were convinced God was speaking to you what has changed? What has changed in this test? Has God stopped speaking? Has God stopped leading you? Has God stopped being faithful? Has God stopped being a part of your life? Has God lost control of this world? Well, I never believed that when I first came to Christ. Why am I believing it now? Now watch, he reveals, for you, brothers and sisters, verse 14, became imitators of God's churches, in Judea. Like so, the gospel started in Jerusalem, which is a city in the province of Judea. And it spread to Samaria, which is a province next to Judea, and then starts spreading throughout the world. And Thessalonica is a long way away from Judea and Samaria. And he said, you became, when you believed, you became imitators, just like the very first Christians, which are those churches which are in Christ Jesus, and you suffered from your own people the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews. The same way those first Christians were treated, you are being treated. And by the way, the same way Jesus was treated, you are being treated. You suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus, the prophets, and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone. And Paul is saying the fact that you are suffering, the fact that you're going through a test is not proof you're wrong, is not proof that you've been uh, lied to, is not proof that we've been greedy and stolen from you. It is proof that you are walking in the way of Christ because the same way they treated you, they treated the churches when they first started, and they treated Jesus. You're in a long line, a good line, of godliness. Paul says they displease God and are hostile to everyone and in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to a limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. God will have a final word. Those who are attacking you, those who are opposing you, God will deal with. So our test, as I said, is different from their test. We're not at this point, openly being opposed or persecuted for our faith. I mean, there's people that don't agree with it, and there's people that think we're stupid for doing it, but, but that's different than actively being persecuted and attacked for your faith. But we are going through a test of a different kind, and that is we are in this long uh, period of time in the pandemic that's, that has isolation and separation and, and unknown and death and, and we are in our homes more, and we are, we are feeling the effect of it. And the problem is, these emotions, these four emotions, seem to be bubbling up in us. 
like fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my family. I'm afraid for my business. I'm afraid for my income. I'm afraid for my marriage. I'm afraid that I'm going to get sick or somebody I love is going to get sick. And so then I want to come become controlling. I want, I want to say how things are going to happen. And, and I think it's fear behind the division and disunity that's bubbling in our church. The churches in general are suffering from this, but I think our church is too. Because, you know, if you're a person who has looked at the facts and decided, I and my family are going to stay at home. We're not going to come to worship because we feel that's the best choice. Then you, because of fear, some of you are starting to attack those who have the faith and the the decision to say, I'm going to take a reasonable step of faith and I am going to go worship. And then some of you that are going to worship are in fear, are are responding back to those who are choosing to stay at home. And and, and this is just, we're going against each other and it's got to be my way. And I got to have it my way and because you're wrong. And that, I think, is all coming from fear. And it will drive us to disunity. Can we not trust Jesus and honor one another even though we're different? Is that not possible? It's not just fear, it's loneliness. But some of you are going, I, I'm not lonely. I got so many people in my house. I'm just looking for a room to be alone in. But I understand there are people that don't have so many people in their house. And they've been cut off, especially if you're an extrovert. Even if you do have people in your house, you're used to people being around people and engaging with people and giving love and receiving love, and that fills you up. And because that's been cut off, this loneliness has really grown in your life. And it's leading you to make decisions, as I referred to, sexual decisions, decisions about relationships that you shouldn't be in because the loneliness is driving you. You need to be aware of what's going on, that, that emotion of loneliness and how it's bypassing your, your mind and going right to the will for you to make decisions that are going to send you reeling when the consequences come. And same with apathy. I, I mentioned to you, it's just like... I, I don't feel like getting up. I don't feel like doing my devotions. I don't feel like exercising. I don't feel like dieting. I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel. That apathy has settled in. And this is one of the most common things that's happening in this test is this, this deep apathy toward the things that are important for us to live healthy lives, those spiritual, physical, emotional disciplines that keep us centered. And because we have so much time, and because we're locked in our homes, they become even more important. But the, the opposite effects, we're feeling such apathy. We don't feel like doing them, so we're not. And we're f- spiraling downward. And when we're spiraling downward like that, we become open to life. There's no fortifying our mind and our heart to resist those things. This is when Satan loves to breed thoughts into us, prompt us with ideas that will lead us away because they feel right. And then discouragement. I'm discouraged. I'm not sure my marriage is going to make it. I don't want, I'm not sure how my family's going to do. I don't know about my job. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit church. I'm going to quit life groups. I'm going to quit serving. I'm going to quit reaching people. I just, I just, don't feel like it's worth it anymore. These are the things that we are facing in our test. This is the test to persevere in these things. And the only way we will do this is by what Paul demonstrates in First and Second, or First Thessalonians chapter one and two. You have to know what it is 
that you're att- is attacking you. You got to know your feelings, and you got to know the truth, and you need to pr- have prayer because Paul said right from the start, "I'm praying for you." We don't stop. We're just praying for you all the time. So it's prayer, it's truth that we get from the Word of God, and it's other people. It's other people. See, the Thessalonians left on their own would spiral downward, but Paul comes in, and he is another person. He is community, and he's bringing truth to them. Hey, you're thinking wrong here. You need to understand that. That's why we need community, why we need the word, why we need prayer. It keeps our mind focused. We're under attack. This is a time of test. This is a time when it will be easy to fall away. But God is leading us through this test to make us stronger. To deal things, deal with things in our lives. But a test is not a test if it's easy. That's the point of a test. It is hard. Now this morning I was reading my devotions. Um, Jesus. Jesus is worth reading, by the way. <laughs> He's a great subject to read about. And the chapter that I was reading was uh, in Matthew on his, uh, just before, it's the night before he's going to be betrayed. And uh, Jesus knows what's coming. The, the disciples, they don't know what's coming. But Jesus has been telling them, but it's not clicking for them. And so the night before he's betrayed, what Jesus does three things. In fact, he, 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 when he goes, to, he leaves where he eats, so he gathers his disciples together, community. The closest friends, he says, come Let's have community. And then he he eats with them, the Last Supper. And then he travels out of Jerusalem, up the side of the Mount of Olives to a garden called Gethsemane with his disciples, minus one who was Judas, who left to betray him. And he takes his 11 closest friends and he goes with them and he says to them, my soul, read it in Matthew, my soul is so heavy, I feel like I'm going to die. I am so filled with sorrow, I'm not sure I'm going to live. Jesus knew the emotion that he had. And it led him to pray, and he, he got his disciples, pray with me. And, and, and he, he went and on his own, and he called out to the Father. Three times he went and prayed, and he, he, he calls out unto God, and, and he knows that if he lets this emotion control him, he will walk away from the cross, and we will not experience salvation, and the will of God will not be done. And so what does he do? Community, prayer, and truth, the word of God. And so, in this test, just ask yourself this question. Where am I at with regard to community? Who am I connecting with that I can talk about what I'm feeling and what I'm going through, and they can pray for me? And when am I praying, and when am I praying with other people? And, and when am I receiving the truth of God's Word? Where am I going to receive that truth? Community, prayer, and Word. They were the things that carried Jesus through his greatest test. They were the things that carried all Christians, including in Thessalonica, through the test that they faced. Let's pray. Jesus, today, sometimes the answer is right in front of us. And we forget, we forget that our feelings can send us reeling. That when we listen to our feelings, we bypass our mind and go right to our will and make decisions that can have even eternal consequences. 
And yet you have provided us with three very simple yet powerful tools. Prayer, your word, and others. Now I want to pray over Springvale and those that are connecting with us. You would help us to ask ourselves and be truthful. Yeah. What am I doing about those three things in my life? They are the things that fortify you in this test. So God, would you help us, help us to fight the apathy, to fight the fear, to fight the loneliness, to fight the discouragement by coming to you and receiving your strength, by seeing and understanding the truth of what's really happening in our lives, and by opening ourselves to others to receive encouragement from you. God, strengthen us in these three tools that you've given us, I pray. Amen. Thank you.